Good morning. All right, uh, you don't have to smile at me because it's not a very tough passage today. Um, but thank you so much for your patience uh, over the last 15 months for bearing with this book. In fact, uh, this, is, this has been a tough book, uh, but uh, to go through it, to wrestle with the concepts and the verses was wonderful. And I hope uh, it's been a blessing to you. It's only my prayer that uh, you have understood this book better, and not just this book, but the entire timeline that God has for us as he unravels history that is yet to come, that is yet future for all of us. And uh, again, thank you for your patience. And uh, some of you have walked up to me and said, uh, you know, why don't you stay or stick to the Old Testament as we continue uh, pray about it and let's see what we need to study next. Uh, Let's all pray together about it. But one person strangely walked up to me and said, I think logically you should continue with the book of Revelation. Since you've done Daniel, you should do Revelation. Perhaps that person is very interested in eschatology, uh, but uh, I'm not sure I'll take up Revelation. I think I'll take a break from all these tough books and go for an easier book, perhaps. What's it, Jobin? (laughs) All right. all right, so uh, in God's providence this morning, uh, what the world celebrates as Easter, or what uh, the rest of the Christian world celebrates as Easter, I happen to be preaching on the resurrection itself. I didn't plan for it, but in God's sovereignty, exactly after 15 months, I get this chapter 12 that talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me begin with uh, not a joke or any sense of humor, but something serious because it's a serious passage. There are earthquakes happening all over the world once in a while, but every earthquake teaches us one lesson. And the lesson is it's important to have firm, strong foundations, especially for buildings. It's important to have firm foundations. Why is it flickering? Is, is the voice... Is it clear? Okay. So I was particularly reminded of this fact, uh, looking at all the construction work that's going on all over Bangalore. And there's a lot of dust that's raking up, particularly in our street. There are two constructions going on. What happens is whenever a construction goes on, all of a sudden there's a huge hole that is dug up. And it is not even conspicuous. We don't see it. But men and women get into it. They put iron. They put all these steel bars. They put a lot of concrete. And months and months of labor will bring out some kind of a skeletal structure. But what's been happening in the pit or in the hole for all these months that we couldn't see? The fact of the matter is, all these men and women were laboring to lay the foundation for that building. And this huge edifice that has a strong foundation for many years would occupy that particular space. But no matter how impressive the building... It is important for each building to have a strong or a firm foundation for it to last long. And if that is the case about buildings, it's the same thing about the Christian faith as well. Every Christian must have a firm or a strong foundation on which to stand. And one of these strong foundations that the Bible talks about is the foundation of hope. It is the foundation of hope. And hope is not any wishful thinking because that's the kind of language that we use in our everyday uh, use of language. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope RCB wins the IPL this year. We use language that way. 
But in the Bible, hope is a firm conviction about things that are yet to come because you have faith in the promises of God. It is a firm conviction. And so the necessity of having a firm foundation is absolutely important in our Christian lives. You know, the late Emil Brummer uh, once said this, What oxygen is for the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of human life. What oxygen is for the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of human life. Yet, when we look at the world outside, it is hopeless and there's despair everywhere. And only when we have hope as the basis of our lives can we live lives that are pleasing to God in this world of turmoil. Let me say that again. Only when we have hope as the basis of our lives can we live lives that are pleasing to God particularly in such a turbulent world that is around us. So this brings us to a few important questions. And the questions are, what do I need to hope for? What do I need to hope for? Or better, what are a few things I can legitimately hope for as a Christian which will provide the basis for my life in the Lord? What are a few things that I can legitimately hope for as a Christian that will provide a basis or a foundation for my life in the Lord. And the answers to all these questions are found in the word of God, particularly in the passage that was read out to us. And remember, Daniel received a revelation about a future war that was going to engulf Israel. And we see the revelation and how it was expanded to us in all these chapters, chapters 10, 11, and we come to chapter 12 now. So he was initially revealed the fact that There is a future war that is going to engulf Israel, that is going to battle Israel, and he was very, very troubled about it. He wanted further revelation about it, so he was fasting and praying, and he was revealed that from that moment on until the end of time, there will be four huge wars that will batter Israel. And these are the four wars that uh, we looked at. We looked at almost three or four of them, but we look at the last thing today in this chapter Uh, in detail as the angel reveals it to Daniel. The first thing we looked at in chapter 11, first part of it, was a war of Persia and the war of Greece. Persia and Alexander the Great came and uh, destroyed Israel, and uh, they were ruling them. And then we talked about the wars of Ptolemies and the Seleucids, and we spent quite a bit of time on that. Then we looked at the prefigure of the Antichrist, who is Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who came and uh, destroyed uh, Jerusalem, most of it. In fact, he went into the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar, and he also set up the altar to Zeus, his own god. And finally, we talked about the eschatological period called the Great Tribulation, and last time when I spoke, we talked about how the Antichrist is going to come, but we didn't talk about who the Antichrist might be, but we talked about who the, uh, how the Antichrist is going to come and how all these wars would happen at the Battle of Armageddon. So the general revelation that was given to Daniel was about these four wars, and the close of this revelation comes in this chapter that we just read, and it comes with a reminder that God has different plans for the, end of, for the end of the age. The Gentiles are not going to be the heroes after all. Because at the time uh, this Gentile kingdom is going to end, from then on is going to start the Messianic kingdom, or what is called 
the millennial kingdom. It is a kingdom where Jesus Christ would come and reign from Jerusalem. It is a kingdom of peace and righteousness. And all of us Christians must look forward to that kingdom, must look forward for it, and must pray that it comes soon. And so that is the revelation that is given to Daniel here, particularly in this chapter. So today's passage will reveal to us two truths about hope and how it's connected to our daily life as a Christian. Two truths about hope and how it's connected to our lives as we live our lives pleasing to God, or as we hope to live our lives pleasing to God. Daniel chapter 12. So in verses 1 through 4, you'll see that the hope of resurrection and rewards is the basis for godly living, even in times of trouble. The hope of resurrection and rewards is the basis for godly living, even in times of trouble. The hope of our future resurrection and the fact that after we are resurrected, we will be rewarded for all that is done in the flesh is a sure footing to live a holy life, even in a world of turmoil, even in this turbulent world. And that's exactly what we see in this portion of Daniel. Daniel was told that the righteous in Israel will be resurrected and rewarded for their faith after the great tribulation. Now listen to this timeline very carefully and what uh, the angel is giving to Daniel here. He is going to give in three steps how all this is going to unravel, particularly in a period called the Great Tribulation, which is the second half of the 70th week of Daniel. And the angel mentions three things about it. The first thing, Israel will go through the Great Tribulation and the righteous will see deliverance at the end. Israel will go through the Great Tribulation and the righteous will see deliverance at the end. Look at verse 1, please, and follow along. These are just 13 verses. I'll end quickly, but follow along, please, as we see the argument or uh, the timeline that the angel gives. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as uh, has been uh, never since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. At the end of the time, says uh, this angel, Michael, the angel who is responsible for protecting the nation of Israel, or who is the guardian of the nation of Israel, will arise in defense of this nation. So he is going to sustain them through this period called the Great Tribulation. And this revelation immediately takes focus again onto this spiritual realm. In chapter 10, remember, we talked about the spiritual realm and the forces that are in the spiritual realm, that there's a war going on between the good angels and the bad angels to fulfill the purposes of God on this earth. And we also realize that sometimes our prayers are delayed because of the spiritual warfare that's going on in the spiritual realm. And all of a sudden, the focus shifts back to the spiritual realm, and we realize what happens in the spiritual realm, or what's happening in the spiritual realm, has a certain bearing on the events of the earth. And so, here is Michael in the unseen realm, in the supernatural realm, the guardian of Israel, trying to sustain them through this period called the Great Tribulation. 
Now the angel begins to reveal more details about the last days. He says it will be a time of extreme distress. It will be a time of extreme intense distress. Worse than any other time in the history of Israel. Now in the first slide we saw that four wars would engulf Israel. The time of the war by Persia. The war by Alexander the Great. The war by the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. They were all tough times. But this is going to be even more intense. This is going to be even more distressful towards the end. The Jews are going to go through such a tough time is what the angel reveals. And the scripture to talk about that particular period of time uses different phrases. In fact, our Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 24 and 25 used the phrase, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. And our Lord Jesus, in the same chapters in the Olivet Discourse, as it is popularly called, also talked about it as the Great Tribulation. It is called the Great Tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. It refers to this intense period of persecution, of trials and tribulations that's going to befall the Jews. It is the last half of the second 70th week of Daniel, and the Jews will go through this kind of an intense, tough persecution as Israel's land will be international battlefield. We saw that last time. Israel's land is going to be international battlefield and the battle of Armageddon is going to happen at the end. Having said all of this, the angel says, but there's hope. There's hope. Look at this. At that time, your people shall be delivered. I love this phrase. At that time, your people shall be delivered. The deliverance is going to come But it's going to come at the end, at the end of this period called the Great Tribulation. But who will be delivered? Look at the phrase here. The answer the angel gives is, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And what book is that? It could be no other book than the Lamb's Book of Life. It contains the names of all the redeemed. And everyone whose name is found in the Lamb's Book of Life will be saved, will be delivered. They will experience a certain deliverance after the Great Tribulation. So that's the first thing the angel reveals to Daniel. Then there's a second thing here. The angel says, The righteous will rise to everlasting life, but the wicked to everlasting doom. The righteous will rise to everlasting life, but the wicked to everlasting doom. Look at verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Why did the angel use the word many here and not all? Look at what the angel says. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. He doesn't use the word all, he uses the word many. He did so to stress the fact that those Jews who died because of Antichrist persecution during the tribulation period are the specific ones who will be resurrected at the end of it. The Jews who died because of the persecution of the Antichrist through the tribulation period, particularly during the great tribulation period, are the ones who will experience this resurrection. He is referring to the hope of those Jews in particular. And some of those Jews who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will experience this resurrection and they will be transferred to the millennial kingdom that is going to happen, that is going to come. But the others who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will experience disgrace. Look at the verse. And they will experience everlasting contempt because they do not believe in the name of the Son of God. They do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, This verse does teach us that there are going to be two resurrections. 
One resurrection is to glory, is to the kingdom. The other resurrection is to contempt and to doom. But this verse does not teach us that they're going to happen at the same time. Let me take you to the timeline here. What we are talking about here is the second part of the tribulation called the great tribulation. And people, the Jews who are saved here and died because of the persecution that was wrecked by the Antichrist will rise at this time. However, the wicked will not rise here. They will rise for the judgment at the end of the millennium. And that is clear for us in the book of Revelation chapter 20. It talks about the fact that there is going to be a resurrection, a second resurrection that will happen at the end of the millennial time or the millennial kingdom. So for those of people, for those Jews who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this resurrection is going to be a terrifying experience because this resurrection is not a resurrection to glory or not a resurrection to salvation, but this resurrection is a resurrection to judgment. That's the second thing that he explains here. Now, in the context of this particular verse, the emphasis here is on the hope of the Jews who will die during the tribulation, and they will be resurrected to glory, and they will be part of the millennial kingdom. But let me give you a little bit of trivia here about this particular verse. This is the first time in the Old Testament. This is the first verse in the entire Old Testament that talks about a twofold resurrection. Resurrection of the, of, the, of the people who will rise to glory and the resurrection of the wicked as well. And this is very, very important because it is talking about the saved Jews and the time when these saved Jews will be resurrected to glory. And this is also the first occurrence in the Old Testament of the phrase called eternal life or everlasting life. This is the first time uh, in the entire corpus in the book of Daniel that this phrase occurs in the Old Testament. So the righteous will rise to everlasting life, but the wicked will come to doom. Third thing that the angel mentions here, that the righteous will receive rewards for their works. Look at verses 3 and 4. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, the emphasis on hope for the Jews living during this time continues in this particular verse as well. It says, rewards will follow resurrection. Now, those Jews who are saved will be raised to life, and the moment they are raised to life, they will be rewarded. Look at what the reward is here. Their glory will be similar to the glory of the sky above. They will shine like the stars. And the angel expressed this blessing in a beautiful parallelism. And the glory also will involve the privilege of reigning with Christ in glory in the millennial kingdom and forever as well. Then we come to verse 4 here. And the angel says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. The phrase, shut up these words, does not mean that Daniel should put it behind a closet or put it in a closet and lock it and keep the keys with him or keep this revelation to himself. But what it means is that it is a very, very important revelation and he must preserve this revelation for ages to come. 
Why is this revelation important? Because this is talking about how the future is going to unravel, particularly for the Jews. And so this verse says that many people, many men will run to and fro, trying to find answers to questions about life. Many men will run to and fro, trying to find how the future is going to be, or what the future is going to hold for them. They want to know what the future holds, but what Daniel says is this, this verse says is this, that... As we get closer and closer to the time of Christ, the knowledge will increase. As we get closer and closer to the time of Christ, this revelation becomes clearer. So the righteous will receive rewards for their works. The righteous will receive rewards for their works. Let me ask you this question, and it is uh, most in order to be asked on Easter Sunday. Do you believe in the hope of resurrection? Or do you have the hope of resurrection? Peter, who was one of the disciples of Christ, who was always in the inner circle, one of the inner circle of three, he had a very tough time seeing the Lord crucified, and he went into a kind of despair. But this man, after the resurrection, writing in his epistle, says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be uh, be born again through a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the Christian life is characterized by the hope of resurrection. The Christian life is characterized by the hope of resurrection. And Only that person who has this hope of resurrection will stand out in the crowd, even among Christians. When we see, or when other people see, us having this hope of resurrection, especially unbelievers, that will prompt people to ask us questions about the hope that we have. And then we can open up and share boldly about the hope that we have in resurrection and in the gospel. You know, uh, Eugene O'Neill, I've quoted this before several times, but I'm sure most of you have forgotten this, so let me quote this again. Eugene O'Neill has written a brilliant poem called Lazarus Laughed. Lazarus Laughed. You know, Caligula, the uh, Roman emperor, was going around killing Christians, and all of a sudden he bumps into Lazarus. And he says to Lazarus, Lazarus, I'm going to kill you. You know what was Lazarus' reaction? Ha, ha, ha. And the argument goes back and forth between Caligula and Lazarus. And Caligula looks at Lazarus and says, Lazarus, one more ha-ha-ha out of you, you're going to be a dead man. This is after Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. And so Lazarus, he starts laughing and uncontrollable laughter comes upon him. He bends over, laughs, straightens up himself, somehow controls himself, looks at Caligula and says, haven't you heard Caligula, death is dead. Death is dead. How do you scare somebody who's already been there on the other side and who knows the very one who's going to let him out of it? Do you know the very one who's going to let you out of it? Do you have the hope of resurrection this morning? But the fact of the matter is, sadly, most Christians are not very hopeful about resurrection. Now, political and economic conditions in the world and in our nation are far from encouraging 
And many Christians who are very hopeful when one political party was ruling our nation are now despondent or even mad that there's another political party not understanding that God will bring about his sovereign purposes no matter what the political party is, no matter who's at the helm, no matter who's ruling our nation. So there are two less Christians who are optimistic or hopeful about this particular resurrection. Now, let me give you another illustration about this. There is a particular town where there were two people, and both of them were dying on the same day. One was a very rich man, surrounded by the best doctors in town, and just before he died, he whispered to the doctors in despair, I'm leaving home. I'm leaving home. On the other end of the town was a woman who was in solitary confinement, nobody to help her, but there was a twinkle of joy in her eyes, and she said, I'm going home. I'm going home. There's a world of a difference between these two. One man said, I'm leaving home in despair. The other woman, who was in solitary confinement, although she said, I'm going home with a lot of joy. And I believe this with all my heart, that a lot of Christians today are depressed because they are focused more about the prosperity of the wicked than thinking about the resurrection hope that you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need not be depressed. The world is always prospering, especially when it's in rebellion against God. But we must trust in the sovereignty of God, that God will bring this resurrection hope into our lives and let it become a reality one day and change our depression to delight in this moment when we, hope, when we focus on that particular hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so... It is, a, it is a hopeless world out there, and we must proclaim with all of our hearts to the glory of God that he is risen. He is risen, and he is risen indeed. You know, John Watson, the great Scottish preacher in Edinburgh, uh, would go to his parish members or his church members who were on their deathbed. He would kneel down, and just before they would die, whisper these words into their ears. He would say, in my father's home, there are many mansions. And even the most despondent person, even the, most, even the person with a lot of despair leaving this world would smile and say, now I can depart in peace. Because in my father's home, there are many mansions. My question this morning is, do you have the hope of resurrection? Do you have the hope of resurrection? So in verses 1 through 4, we saw that the hope of resurrection and rewards is the basis for godly living, even in times of trouble. Then there's a second thing that we need to understand, or second basis for living a life that is pleasing to God, and that is in verses 5 through 13. They say that the hope of a future with God himself is the basis for perseverance till the end. The hope of a future with God himself, that we're going to spend time with God, we're going to spend eternity with God, and he is going to be our God, and we are going to be his people, that hope will make us persevere till the end. The conviction that God's dwelling will be among us and that we will be his people will enable us to endure till the end. And that's what the angel explained to Daniel here. Daniel was told that the great tribulation will last for three and a half years and those who perceive it till the end will see the kingdom. Those who perceive it till the end will see the millennial kingdom of Christ. And again, we have three things about it as revealed by the angel. I'll make it quick. Please follow uh, along in the argument. First thing, 
The great tribulation will last for three and a half years. Verses 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood. One on his bank, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand, both towards the heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be fulfilled. Now, Daniel saw two other individuals other than the angel from chapter 10 who had been revealing all these things to him. And somebody asked this man who was dressed in linen a question. How long will all these things be? You're talking about a terrible, intense persecution for the Jews. You gave us all these details. You talked about the fact that uh, the, the righteous Jews, the people who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be resurrected. They'll be rewarded. They'll shine like glorious stars and all of that. But how long will all these things be? How long will this persecution be? And here, in verse 7, the angel gives the answer. He says, a time times Half a time. A time here represents one year. So a time times half a time is three and a half years is what the angel is revealing here. Specifically, the angel is talking about the three and a half years that form the second part of the tribulation. The second part of the seven-year tribulation or the second part of the 70th week of Daniel. It is called the time of Jacob's trouble, like I mentioned earlier, or it is also called the great tribulation. But notice here that the very same verse also gives us a crucial insight into the purpose of this tribulation. It is to break the power of the holy people, that is the nation of Israel. God allows the Antichrist to rise up there to break the pride and power of Israel. He brings them to their knees. He purifies them through this suffering process. And this ties with what Paul says in Romans when he says, all the Jews will be saved, or all Israel will be saved. He doesn't mean all of the nation of Israel will be saved, but those who endure till the end will be saved. You know, we realize and we also know from news and other things that some kind of a blindness has come upon this nation of Israel. In, his, in, in the first coming of the Messiah, they rejected him. Even now, they are rejecting him. But there is going to be a time when God will mold them, take them through persecution. And they will look upon the one that they have pierced, and they will come into a national repentance. All Israel will be saved, is what Paul says. Now, this shouldn't surprise us very much, that Israel needs to be broken to come to repentance. Because the fact of the matter is, some of us need to be broken as well before we actually come to repentance before the Lord Jesus Christ truly. And some of us seated here, I'm afraid, have to be broken or have to hit the rock bottom twice or thrice before we take the Lord seriously. But the tribulation here is not just simply one of judgment. At the end of tribulation, God is going to pour his divine grace. It's going to be a time of righteousness and peace in the messianic kingdom. So that's the first thing that the angel reveals here. Secondly, the wise will experience spiritual purification, but the ungodly will remain wicked. Verses 8 through 10. Let me read that for you. Three verses. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, 
what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Now, Daniel tried to comprehend this vision, and he couldn't understand it. A lot of theologians ever since have been trying to comprehend this vision. They can't understand it completely. I am standing here and preaching it uh, supposedly confidently, but the fact of the matter is I don't understand all of what is revealed here because the words are shut up. And as we, grow, as we go closer and closer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation will only get clearer. But he politely tells Daniel not to worry about the events that are going to come because when the events actually come, when the persecution actually comes, there's going to be a clear separation of the wicked and the wise, of the wicked and the righteous. Now, interestingly, he calls the righteous people wise. Who are these wise people? In the Old Testament, the wise are the people who know the revelation of God and who obey the revelation of God. And people who ignore the revelation of God or disobey the revelation of God are foolish people. And so these wise people, they understand the revelation of God. They sit under the divine revelation. They know the purpose of this tribulation and they go through it patiently till the end. And here we see that the wise will experience spiritual purification, but the ungodly will remain wicked. And lastly, the angel reveals one more thing, that the blessed ones will wait till the end for the Lord to rescue them. The blessed ones will wait till the end for the Lord to rescue them. Verses 11 through 13. And from that time, now this is slightly difficult. This is the only part that is difficult. Follow along, please, and look at the text. And from that time, that regular burnt offering is taken away, And the abomination that makes desolate is set up. They shall be 1,290 days or 1,290 days. Verse 12, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now the divine messenger who was asked questions of by Daniel Uh, gave some more information or conceded some more information here. However, these things are very unclear, but I'm going to try my best to interpret it, but some of it is left to the sovereignty of God as to how he is going to take it forward or unravel things. Now look at this very carefully, please. The Lord measured the time between the end of this tribulation. Here is the end of tribulation. This This is the tribulation, seven years totally, three and a half years and the three and a half years of great tribulation that we've been talking about. So the Lord measured the time and he said, from the end of tribulation to the time when the sacrifices are abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, it's going to be how many days? 12, 90 days. So from the time of the abolishing of sacrifices by the Antichrist and the setting up of the abomination that causes desolation, it is going to be 12, 90 days. Ah, but wait a minute. Earlier, the angel said three and a half years, isn't it? Now, in the Jewish uh, calendar, a month is 30 days. So you multiply that with 12, it is 360 days in a year for a usual Jewish year. And you multiply that with three and a half years, it comes to 1260 days. So this period is actually, three and a half years, is actually 1260 days, but now the angel is all of a sudden revealing 1290 days, 
30 days extra, a month extra. What is the angel talking about here? Most scholars, most interpreters, most prophecy scholars say that it could be the time before the abomination of desolation or it could be the time after this three and a half years. And some say it could be partly here and partly here. For example, 15 days here and 15 days here. We are not revealed how it's going to unravel for us in the future in history. But my best guess is this, that the Antichrist will abolish the sacrifice first, and 30 days later, exactly in the middle of it, he's going to set up the abomination of desolation. So totally... It will be 1290 days. But that is just a guess or a speculation. And if you push me in a very friendly way and say, Raven, tell me really what does this mean? Let me give you a brilliant answer that no theologian has ever given. The answer is I don't know. (laughs) And I always say this. God has put enough into this word to make faith a reasonable thing. But he's also left enough out of it to make sure that we don't act like gods ourselves. This is enough for us as a revelation. 30 days are here or here or somewhere up there. I don't know. But God in his sovereignty is going to unravel for that people at exact time of 1290 days. But then the angel gives one more number here and let's finish with that. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1335 days. Blessed is he who arrives and waits uh, at 1335 days. And the Lord said that his people will be blessed who are waiting for the Lord to rescue him, rescue them, and arrive at 1335 days. Now, this is 1290. You add 45 more days to it, which is here. It'll come to 1335 Because the Lord said very clearly that those who arrive, the best guess is that these days are after the great tribulation. And they go into the millennial kingdom. So what the Lord is saying or the angel is revealing here is that those people who are living, who are saved, who perceive it till the end will wait till 45 days more for the millennial kingdom to begin or to reign with Christ. Now, what are these 45 days? When a revelation is not clear, scholars begin to speculate. But these are good scholars. Dr. Dwight Pentecost from Dallas Seminary suggested something. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ will come back. The Lord Jesus Christ will come back and appear here, which is a sign of the Son of Man, and he will take 45 days to come down. Not a great suggestion, but John Walwood, his student, I guess, or a better scholar, uh, he says this, and I I, I kind of agree with him. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ will come back right after uh, the Great Tribulation, and he will take 45 days to clean up the mess and establish judgments and establish his millennial kingdom, possibly. But again, we don't know very clearly what the angel is talking about. But the point of this text or this verse is this. It is only to encourage believers living during the tribulation to remain faithful to the Lord by persevering till the end. They must persevere till the end. But then he says something at the end. But go your way till the end, Daniel, and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, these are beautiful words because these are the last words 
to Daniel in his earthly life as given in the Holy Writ. So four things the Lord says to Daniel as the last words to him. And look at these so beautiful things. First one, Daniel, go your way. He says, Daniel, go your way. You've been very, very faithful right from the time you and your parents were brought here into Babylonia by Nebuchadnezzar. You know, uh, <clears throat> you went to the den of lions. You stood very strong with great convictions. But the fact of the matter is, you have to go your way and you must remain faithful until I call you home. Second thing, he says, you will rest. You will rest. He is not talking about a beautiful retirement home on earth, but he's saying it is a Hebraism to say that you will die. You'll be buried. You've had enough troubles in this life, Daniel. Wait for a little more time and you will die and it will be a time of rest for you. Number three, he says you will rise. Now look at the promise here. It is the promise of bodily resurrection. You will rise to life. Daniel will die and he will eventually rise again. And lastly is the most beautiful thing. You will receive your allotted inheritance. You will receive your allotted inheritance. This would have been a precious promise to a man who was living in exile in a foreign land. And history tells us that Daniel died in Babylon. He never went back to Israel with the deportations. So Daniel died there. But it's a great promise of inheritance for him that he will have a great inheritance in the kingdom to come. So the application for us this morning is, do you look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now let me do something for our church that I've never done before, and I'm not sure I will do it in future unless there's a need. Can we all together say this word, Marnatha? You know what it means? It is an Aramaic word that is used only once in the New Testament, and that is in 1 Corinthians 16.22, used by Paul. Although Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in Greek, this particular word was borrowed. This is the only word that was borrowed from Aramaic. It means, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That was the prayer of the early church. Now, uh, let me give you an illustration that just came to my mind. I was talking to Pradeep some four years ago, you know, uh, I thought you wouldn't be in church today, and I thought I'd gossip about you, but you, there you are sitting. Uh, but anyway, uh, Pradeep and I were sitting and talking about breakfast some three years ago, and he mentioned this, Ravant, I pray that the Lord would come back every day. I pray every day that the Lord would come back soon, was what he said. Absolutely. That is what the New Testament asks us to do. In fact... That is exactly what the prayer of the early church was. Marnatha, come, Lord Jesus. In the New Testament, there is a clear anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They always awaited his return, and they awaited his return with joy. Let me give you a few verses to, to just substantiate what I'm saying here. Titus 2.13 Paul writes, we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. What is a blessed hope? It is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and we await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the very power that enables him to bring everything under his control, is able to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there. Second Timothy 4.8, Paul says, Now there's in stone store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, 
the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his coming. To all who have longed for his coming. It talks about a crown of righteousness. I don't know how it looks. I don't even know what it is. But for sure, it is a good thing. And the Lord is going to give to all who have longed for his coming. Revelation 22.20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And there are many verses throughout the New Testament that I could quote, but the point is we must await the Lord's return. We must eagerly anticipate the Lord's return and await the Lord's return. Do you look forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? So what's the point of this morning's sermon? The whole chapter basically says this, the hope of resurrection and future with the Lord are the basis for godly living in this world of turmoil. We must have firm convictions about what the future holds for us in the Lord and how glorious it is. That will enable us in this world to lead a life that is pleasing to God himself. Thank you for your patience and once again, thank you for your patience throughout the book of Daniel. Let me finish with this illustration that ties all of it together. There was a woman who had been diagnosed with uh, a terminal illness and she was just given three more months to live. She was sure she was going to die in three months and all the medical certificates and diagnosis said that. So she called a pastor and she was, uh, she was doing all kinds of arrangements about her funeral and everything. She, uh, she talked to the pastor about the dress that she wanted to be buried in, the Bible that she wanted put in her coffin, the songs that she wanted sung at her funeral the, the, the verses that she wanted read at her funeral, and the preacher who she wanted to preach at the funeral as well. All of these things were decided by her, everything. And the pastor wrote down everything because he wanted to make her happy, and all of a sudden uh, he was leaving, and just then she caught a hand uh, with, with her frail hands and called him back, and she said, just one more thing. And the pastor just came back, sat down, and very eagerly listened as the woman narrated. As I die... And as I'm going to be buried in a coffin, would you please put a fork in my hand? A fork in my hand. And the pastor thought it was funny, as some of you are smiling. Uh, he asked, what is the reason? Why do you want a fork in your hand? You have the Bible, you have all these kinds of things, and why do you want a fork in your hand? She said, well, I've attended a lot of potluck dinners arranged by the church and a lot of love feasts and all of that. But once the main course is done... Eventually, and invariably, somebody would lean over to me and say, the desert is coming, so please keep your fork. The desert is coming, please keep your fork. And whenever I kept my fork, she says, it was, the desert was a velvety chocolate chip cookie or a deep dish apple pie or something very tasty like that. And so... I've always kept my fork after the main course because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And I want to be buried with this fork in my hand. And anybody who asks the question, Pastor, I want you to explain that this signifies that the best is yet to come. And the pastor gave her a hug because he thought that she understood more about resurrection than he did. And uh, here she was, buried or, or lay, uh, in the coffin, and all the people were passing by, uh, finding it interesting that she was in the coffin with 
uh, a fork in a hand. And all of a sudden, amidst all the questions, the pastor stood up on the pulpit and he began to preach and he said this. You know why she is buried with a fork in her hand? Because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And every time you pick up a fork from now on, please remember this. The best, even for us, is yet to come. Thank you so much for your patience. And may the Lord bless you all with his word. Father God, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your writing of Daniel, a great prophet, a man who lived a life that's worthy of your calling. Thank you for such a great example, O Lord. But more than that, thank you for the revelation that you gave us through his writing. Thank you for the fact that we understood through this book very clearly and in no, and in no uncertain terms that you are sovereign over nations, that you unravel history, and everything is under your control, even to the detail of a day. Father, we want to thank you, although we don't understand many things. You helped us unravel this book. Father, we pray that in the days to come, this revelation would only get clearer so that we can live a life too worthy of your calling. I submit all of the uh, day's activities into your hands, O Lord, particularly the sisters' meeting. I pray, O Lord, even as they study about discipleship, that you would strengthen each one of them and help them live as disciples as all of us should, O Lord. We want to thank you for this time once again. We glorify you and honor you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Raven. Good morning, CBF. Welcome, everyone, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, We have with us a few visitors. As I call out your names, would you please stand up or raise your hand so we know where you're seated, and we can talk to you later. We have Benisha's parents, Brother A.V. Benny and Walsama Benny with us. They're seated there. Uh, We also have Joe's and Sharon's parents, Brother Thomas Joseph and Annama Thomas, visiting us from Neveli. Seated right there. Church, can we welcome them together? Um, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. we meet for worship in the Lord's table. Uh, 10, 10 o'clock we have ministry from God's Word. Next week, Pradeep will be sharing God's Word to us. Um, 11.25 we will have the Sunday school and also the sisters meeting today. Next week we will be having the couple study. Meetings for the week. Um, during the week, we have several meetings in different parts of the city. For those who are new or not part of these meetings, requesting that you get in touch with the names mentioned here. On Sunday, this evening, at 3.45 p.m., we have a Hindi fellowship. This week, it will be at Jason and Chinese Home. On Tuesdays at 8 p.m., we have a Bible study at Dumlur. This is a John, Paul, and Sibi's home. On Wednesday at 8 p.m., we have a cell group meeting in Kormangla. This will be at Sajan and Shilpa's home. On Thursdays, we have two meetings. At 8 p.m., we have one in HSR layout. This week, it will be at Galbert and Kenzie's home. And at 8 p.m. in North Bangalore, we have a cottage meeting. And this week, it will be at Jason and Chinese home. On Friday, for those who are working in the evening or the night shifts, we have a meeting in the morning at 9.30 a.m. This week, it will be at Hansel's home. Student groups. uh, Some of the student groups are on break. The ones... On Wednesday at 5.30 p.m., we have the St. Joseph's Boys Study at Garuda Mall. 
On Thursday at 4.30 p.m., we have the Krishna Jayanti College Girls Study. This week, it will be at Rebichan and Ashimama's home. On Friday at 7 p.m., we have the Krishna Jayanti College Boys Study at Charlie and Dima's home. Monthly meetings. The next fasting and prayer meeting will be on the 13th of April from 8 p.m. to midnight at Rebichan and Ashimama's home. And the next outreach will be on the 21st of April at 5 p.m. This will be at Hormau and Vartur. Right. So, uh, special meeting that's coming up, special even that's coming up is a Sunday school picnic. On next Saturday, the 7th of April, we have a Sunday school picnic for children to have fun with games and activities and much more. Uh, this will be at Asian Christian Academy, Hosur, from 9.30 to 3.30 p.m., the details regarding transportation and food plans will be communicated soon. Now, those parents who haven't yet confirmed, requesting them to please get in touch with Jason and confirm, or sorry, the respective class coordinators and do that immediately. Birthdays and anniversaries. Anyone celebrating that this week? Okay, we have, sorry. Evelyn is celebrating her birthday. Kripa's birthday. Okay. We'll have the song for Evelyn and Kripa. points. Uh, Podiyama Jacob, Jochen's mother had a cataract surgery yesterday. Let's continue praying for recovery. Abel and Noah have chicken pox, so let's continue praying for them. Uh, Venkat fell from his bike and has a hip muscle. Uh, his hip muscle is bruised. Let's pray for him and his recovery. Uh, Prithvi, Anvesha, and Nathaniel are traveling to Hyderabad on Tuesday and returning on the 9th of April. And Praise God that Jobin and Ruby are back from their ministry trip. Now, Siji will come and close the meeting in prayer. After that, we'll have the Sunday school meeting here and the sister study starting downstairs. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning that you've given to us. And Lord, as the world celebrates Easter, um, the day that you rose again, we thank you that we have that hope in you. Um, thank you, Lord, for your word that came out so powerfully, Lord, that, uh, um, that Lord, you've planned out um, the exact times and seasons. And Father, especially, Lord, um, as your time of your return is very soon, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would prepare our hearts, Lord, that you would um, enable us uh, to be waiting, um, ready, um, ready for that hope and having that hope, Lord, uh, especially in the world that we live in. Father, we thank you for um, all that you do 
in and through us, Lord, and uh, thank you, Lord, for um, how you've sustained us, Lord, uh, with good health. Lord, we pray for those that are not keeping too well. We remember the little ones uh, um, uh, going through chickenpox, and um, uh, Jochen's mom, uh, who's just uh, rec- um, recovering from a su- surgery. Father, we pray for um, people that are traveling, and Father, we pray for the week ahead. Um, we thank you that you're a God that goes before us. You're a God that... Um, uh, watches over us, that you you protect us, you keep us, Lord, as we go. And Father, we pray that, Lord, um, even in the world that you place us, Lord, that we would be that light and salt to this fallen world, Lord, that we would uh, point them to the hope that we have in you, Lord. Um, enable us, strengthen us, um, give us that confidence, give us that um, enablement, Lord, to to be your your witnesses, your ambassadors, Lord, uh, in the world that you take us to. Um, be with us for the rest of this evening, um, um, this afternoon and evening, that you would bless it and give it to us. Be with the sisters' meeting, Lord, that um, you would uh, speak your truth um, as you um, show us, Lord, how to be disciples that you would uh, want us to be. Be with the Sunday school and um, and all the, all the teachers that are um, giving direction to our children. And uh, also pray for the uh, um, the the picnic that's planned this coming week that it would be a blessing, Lord, for the teachers and the uh, and the and the students, Lord, that uh, they would have a good time. We thank you once again for everything that we could. Pray.